0: nature of work changing as a result of advances in technology. The World Bank's 2019 World Development Report studies this and argues that a new social contract is needed to smooth the transition and guard against rising inequality. Listen on to hear what Michael Rutkowski, the World Bank's Senior Director for Social Protection and Jobs, had to say at the Australian launch of the report. All right, well, good afternoon, everyone, and thank you very much for coming along to our seminar Today, or really our report launch. Uh, this is the Australian launch of the World Development Report 2019 Changing Nature of Work. Uh, my name is Stephen Howes and I direct the Development Policy Centre, which is part of the Crawford School. And uh, as always, let's begin by acknowledging the first Australians, the traditional owners of the land on which we're meeting, and let us pay our respects to the elders of the Ngunnawal people, past and present. Um, Yeah, so we're delighted to uh, be able to uh, collaborate with the World Bank again and to uh, host this uh, session. I think this is the second WDR that we've helped launch in Australia. The first was a couple of years ago on um, governance and law. Uh, But yeah, this is a really important topic. I think that you don't get any bigger questions than the future of work. And uh, it's good to see uh, you're all interested to hear what the World Bank uh, has to say about it. And to uh, tell us uh, what is in the report, The Changing Nature of Work, uh, we have Michael Rutkowski. Uh, so welcome, Michael. Thank you. Michael is the Senior Director and Head of Global Practice in the Social Protection and Jobs uh, Group uh, at, the, at the World Bank based in Washington. And uh, he was an uh, advisor uh, to this report. Um, and so I'm going to hand over to you. Michael, you've got, you know, say half an hour to 40 minutes, uh, but do leave us some time for questions. Sure. So, please welcome Michael Rutko- Rutkowski.
1: Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. It's a, really a pleasure and an honour to, to be here and uh, do the launch of the uh, in Australia of the World Development Report two thousand nineteen on the changing uh, nature of work. Um, Yes, as Steve said, I was an advisor to the team, but also we always, the World Development Report, maybe I say a few words about it so that we, we set the context, is an annual publication of the World Bank, which always we try to make it uh, relevant with respect to picking the topic that is of importance for development. Uh, if we're lucky, of importance not only for development, but for the world more generally, and which is also a topic that generates a lot of attention. So uh, Steve mentioned the report on governance. Uh, we last year we had a report on called the crisis of learning on uh, education, to which I come back to a bit later because its conclusions are still relevant. Uh, and this year the decision was taken that the the, the 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 world development report will focus on the future of work under the label of changing nature of work. Uh, Typically, we have, uh, typically, we have our research complex supervising the world development report. This time, because of the title and focus, Um, the global practice of social protection and jobs, of which I'm a senior director, had an honor of supervising the the Well Development Report, and we did it very actively. A few colleagues from our practice were seconded to the core team of the Well Development Report, uh, and what you see in the report, especially in Chapter 6 on social protection and labor issues, is very much uh, coming out of joint joint thinking of the WDR team and uh, and our uh, global practice. Maybe just to be just to bear with me on intellectual journeys that we have in the bank and i be i be open on that here so we had a chief economist paul romer uh, who just by the way got a nobel prize in economics for which we are very happy um, and paul was a big proponent of focusing the upcoming well development report on work and at that time it wasn't yet called the changing nature of work Paul was uh, very much focusing on the importance of work as a place when people acquire human capital. The, the working title of the first version of WDR, when Paul was still with us, was Work. It didn't have anything else, just Work. And the subtitle was, but the unofficial subtitle, because it wouldn't say was, Work is School. And then here we went, you know, to to talking about old stuff, return to work, um, Heckman and others, but then updated by 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 uh, the analysis. That was indicating that returns to work, you know, they've always been important. They've never been easy to estimate given distortions to the labor market. But then they may be even higher now than they were in the past. And Paul was arguing that in the world with uh, faster acquisition of skills and faster depreciation of skills because of technology changes and others, the what what's happening at work in terms of school in terms of acquisition of human capital may be more important than ever for the stock of human capital of of, of all of us here. Then, for a number of reasons Paul left us, Um, uh, leaving this legacy, which was carried forward by the team led by uh, Simeon Djankov and Federica Saliola with with my advice and supervision uh, on the topic of changing nature of work. And then what came to the forefront was, uh, in addition to Returns to Work, we still have a chapter on Returns to Work, chapter three of WDR, was... Essentially, a prevalent fear around of robots displacing workers. It was a very important motivator of the report that we, may, we are going through this wave of displacement. And there is there are fears that this is a permanent shift in the way the world works. Um, And then obviously, even at the outset of that discussion, one would immediately react, uh, would say, you know, déjà vu, déjà attendee. We had all those waves in the history, including famous one in industrialization, with Luddites destroying machines. And what we learned from that past is, yes, there is a difficult transition period. There are people who, unless assisted properly, suffer. But at the end of the day, many more jobs are created. These are jobs of higher productivity and less physical effort. So at the end of the day, technology is a big, big booster of productivity and pleasure of work and is just a big winner and we need that. And it was never clear why now there are reasons to worry more than in the past. Obviously, there were people saying, no, now there are reasons because there is artificial intelligence, there is this there is this expansion of robotization going into spheres, which we always thought were reserved for human beings. So it was a fascinating topic, and that's why World Development Report decided to focus on it. Of course, in addition to technological disruptions or trends, we have other megatrends around. They are also important in the context of of this WDR, although maybe they don't figure that to the extent to which technological change is there, Mm, uh, globalization and trade, capital movement, migration, but then, then, then the societal norms change, climate change, uh, de- aging, and demographic transition. So all those uh, megatrends uh, are important. Uh, and uh, And the World de- the Development Report took about uh, ten months. It was an accelerated period because. Our senior management decided that we will not delay or slow down the production process when Paul decided to leave us. So the team needed to deliver on time for the well development report to be officially launched. Uh, in Bali during the annual meetings of the IMF and the World Development Report. And this is exactly what happened uh, last week uh, in Bali when it was uh, officially launched. But it was a very, very um, stressed period, very hard work of of the core team and others. And here, um, some of you may have noticed that we did it through a quite unprecedented uh, open process. So what happens was that we needed, we always do, we needed to hold official consultations with major stakeholders of emerging messages of the WDR. Uh, And for that type of uh, messages and uh, topic, those major constituencies are organizations such as international labor organizations, such as trade unions, International Trade Union Confederation, OECD, Um, development banks including those so active in Asia like ADB, AIIB Um, but In addition to those, what we were doing is we had a very public process of producing WDR. Every Friday afternoon at 4pm, a new version of WDR was uploaded at the external page of the World Bank. So if you type WDR 2019 World Bank, you are going to the page and there is a version from last Friday at 4pm. If you do it a week after, you would have a new version that takes on board new thinking of the team, feedback, there was a page to send feedback, consultations, results, and the next Friday is again. So the the beauty of the process was it was extremely open and very interesting the, the the part which is ambiguous was that there were people criticizing WDR for saying something and the week after it wasn't saying that <laughs> so <laughs> which i couldn't decide is good or bad it's certainly innovative <laughs> so um And the part of that was a genuine reaction. i give you an example. There was a lot of criticism that the World Bank report is critical of minimum wage, right? You wouldn't find anything anymore about minimum wage, (laughs) right? So all these criticism you read is not true because (laughs) it's not there, right? Now, it is not there, not for a trivial reason. Let us get rid of the problem, right? The the lenses of of world development reports, and in fact the lenses of our work in the World Bank group is development and is developing world. And I, I start eventually if you started out showing slides right <laughs> but, but at one of the slides, will we'll point to something very important uh, more than almost sixty five percent of workers in the world are informal sector workers. they are not in a world that is even close to talking about labor code, labor regulations, minimum wages, and things like that so The minimum wage discussion was there because we didn't squarely, we didn't realize that we should squarely focus on those who are the most poor, vulnerable in the most difficult parts of the labor market, and these are informal sector workers. The average, I told you, 65%. But countries that, uh, there are countries like India, large countries, that uh, have 90% of informal sector, and they had it 50 years ago, they have it now. So, there were many reasons, but one of the, part of the process was a more square focus on development, and what really matters, how the changing nature of work would influence people who are in the most difficult conditions. And, all, and those people are not unionized people represented by trade unions. These are people who, who are not represented by anybody and in the informal world. Uh, the WDR applies a simple framework of thinking about the changing nature of work. And uh, this framework is uh, presented on uh, this graph which essentially presents what is happening um, in front of our eyes as a battle between automation and innovation. So in the left-hand side of the graph, you would see what's happening in the so-called old sectors in the economy as it exists on on in point T0 and then you obviously we see the process of losing employment in those sectors because automation progresses and there is less, less, less jobs in those traditional sectors and the, at the very same time sometimes same time, sometimes with delays we have a huge innovation process new jobs are created new platforms are created, new uh, functions, new needs are discovered and this innovation process uh, leads to creating lots of new employment in those new sectors of the economy, and uh, if you look just at the net effect of the let- left-hand side of the graph and right-hand side, there are frictions and everything. This is a battle, and uh, the, the WDR posits all that type. Those types of battles in the past have always been won eventually by innovation, and there is this time it's likely to be to be won as well. And here is just an animated version of the same. You have automation bringing those uh, employment down in all sectors. And then you have innovation extending our opportunities, moving to the right. There is new employment in new sectors. So there is this change happening. Now, okay, that's fine. Innovation, innovation. Let's now, let's now, let's now go further underneath. What is underneath this battle of automation and innovation? What is changing? First, there are things which are not revolutionary. They are not revolutionary changing. There is a growth of labor force around the world and here you just to set the stage have numbers for high income, middle income countries. You see the industrial employment slightly going down but total labor force up in high income countries. And then Different trends elsewhere, you would notice that, that East Asia has the this rapid growth in industrial employment, which for which it's famous and brought a lot of development uh, benefits. But then we go to something which now really, really becoming uh, important, relevant, and highly central for, for the changing nature of work, which is that innovation and automation, that battle, even if it is in net terms, say it's a draw, right? the skills needed in those sectors that that innovate uh, are very different than the skills that were needed in the sectors that were uh, automated and here is the study which is uh, i can yeah i think it's a very good and very rigorous study by Rida Okano and Bodevic uh, called growing united on european union countries It is on European Union countries, but the WDR generalizes based on this basis because, uh, because that was the only region when the great data was available and uh, in our view, uh, conclusions uh, hold. And you see here two types of, you see here, you see here very different parts of Europe, but then you see the same pattern everywhere, which is that the share of workers doing manual work is going down and has actually has gone down significantly since 1998 or did uh, go down significantly between 1998 and 2014. And then you have a number of people in cognitive jobs, but non-routine and routine, really, really going up. And this pattern holds regardless in what part of Europe you are uh, across the European Union. And this is obviously a big, big change, uh, which you see when you unmask this uh, innovation automation thing and extremely, of course, consequential because this requires different, uh, different preparation for the participation in the labor market. That theme of those skills uh, of, 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 uh, cognitive uh, uh, skills could be illustrated, is illustrated in the WDR in a lighter fashion as well. And just, I, I show it to you to to a bit uh, for entertainment. So you have three different um, recent uh, job advertisements for three different professions in three different countries. But what I'd like you to pay attention to, that each of those uh, lists as very important qualifications um, skills that uh, not obviously would be considered core skills for those professions. So if you look at data lab- laborers in China, the two last bullets among the four are willingness to learn and teamwork. teamwork. Uh, if you look at genetic counselors in the United States and Canada, upper left-hand corner, you would see that among six, among four, uh, six bullets, uh, you have two obvious master's degree in genetics, relevant certification that that is obvious. But then you have empathy, critical thinking skills, decision making, and communicate complex findings. Uh, WDR, I think I that's by the way how it looks like. Did I show it to you? Yeah. Okay. The, the, so WDR compares it to job advertisement uh, 25 years ago for jobs, and nothing on soft skills was there. It was all about technical skills. Even up developers in the in the lower part of that graph, you would see that. Uh, Other than the obvious, like experience in programming languages, it has also, last two bullets, work effectively as a team member and analytical, that's understandable, but also communication and interpersonal skills. And this comes from the market. It's not invented by researchers of the labor market. It is just out there. So we see that. WDR sees that, and we also see the shifts in Europe, which we have just showed to you. So I cannot not conclude that there is a really important secular shift on the set of skills required by the new labour market as a result of the changing nature of work. But it is critically important then to look at the firm size, and and the WDR has a chapter on, on firms. And the main theme of that chapter is uh, about the acceleration of firm uh, growth that, uh, that, that is taking place. And here you have essentially three examples. And there are three examples of remarkable success stories worldwide. IKEA is a remarkable success story, and the growth of IKEA outside Scandinavia has been for years um, highlighted as being remarkable. They moved to 415 stores in almost 50 countries. After 1973, when they opened the first one outside Scandinavia, it was considered a very fast development. But then, if you, if you then look, 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 look elsewhere, Walmart was even faster. Walmart used particularly innovative technologies and logistics mechanisms and was able to, to go faster. Walmart did not go faster, faster internationally. Walmart was more Americano-centric and it operates in less than 30 countries. But in terms of the number of stores, Um, A number of people employed it beat IKEA and grew very fast. People were pointing to the fact how fast is the Walmart growth compared to IKEA growth. And it was already interesting. But it all pales when you compare those with what's happening with digital platforms, uh, Amazon or Taobao listed here. In Taobao case, you see a phenomenally rapid growth. Uh, from 2010, when they were really, really quite small, to be having nine million online merchants in all the countries of the world now. And this growth is absolutely unprecedented. So, so dwarfing the, the others. And this is something which goes hand-in-hand hand with changes on the demand side for the labor market with more demand on soft skills, social-emotional skills, team working, uh, and those, those jobs advertisements I showed you uh, before. This is another way of illustrating the same topic. You have three sectors in which you have direct competitors, but using very different ways of doing business, All the yellow ones are, if you like, traditional way of doing business, either in a traditional banking sector in Kenya, KCB, or in the hoteling industry, Marriott and Hilton, together, by the way, they are here in terms of rooms worldwide. Or licensed taxis. So I guess 15 years... Ago, we would be only thinking about Marriott's and Hilton's and licensed taxis or other chains, but they are dwarfed completely by the digital platforms. M dominates KCB Bank, Airbnb has more than twice rooms worldwide than Marion and Hilton t- taken together, and Didi. And did I guess, is just uh, a part of the world, Chinese part of the world. I, 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 we had data for Uber, for, for, for Lyft and others, but that illustrates it uh, equally far, far um, bigger number of uh, the drivers than licensed taxis. So, yet another way of illustrating the point of a rapid change in recent years. So with that what is the observation of WDR with respect to what those things together the the, the firm part the demand for labor side uh, cognitive non-cognitive what that means what are the how how that all uh, tra- travels towards the, the, the conclusion and the one of the most important thoughts of WDR is a declining importance in the developed world of standard lifetime employment contracts. Uh, Basically, what is happening is this type of relationship becomes less important than relationship which, which is based on working as a freelancer in a gig economy, Uh, We see uh, increasingly transitions between standard employment contracts to gig economy, to being out of labor force, to being back part time, and so on and so forth. And these new forms of employment are still small. The last bullet says rightly so, less than 3%, but growing very, very fast. So growing very fast and pace of growth of platforms you've just seen. So so, so, so this is the trend which is very clearly seen there. And obviously the question is what conclusions should be drawn out based on that. And that, that, The drop in the importance of the standard employment contract also needs needs to be looked at in the context that in the developing world the standard employment contract never developed as a primary work relationship. I already mentioned this number 65% or 64.7 as average informality in emerging economies. But basically what is happening, so those folks never had a standard employment contract. Standard employment contract loses importance in the developed world. Therefore, it is safe to assume that for developing world, standard employment contract as a gold standard or as a point of aspiration maybe loses relevance. Not that it ever been relevant, but we always had many, many people around, including my colleagues from ILO, who were always saying, we really need to work hard to formalize the third world. I remember that phrase, formalize the third world. Nobody would say third world, thank God, today. But they said like that in the 90s. And then, well, sounds good, because formal labor market is, is a good one. Unions are there, minimum wage is there, the civilized process of bargaining takes place. The problem is, it hasn't been changing, as I say, 90-10 economies are, uh, 40 years ago are 90-10 now, and now you see that in the first world, so to speak, developed countries standard employment control goes down. So, is thinking about formalizing the developing uh, uh, economies a right uh, chain of thoughts? Unlikely, so really unlikely. So, therefore, the question is what could the governments do, and what are, and that moves us to the three. Areas of well development report when the the report calls for for actions, for conclusions. And uh, they come in those three buckets. Uh, The first bucket is about human capital and human capital investment, including lifelong learning. Uh, I show you various, a few graphs related to skills, uh, related to the demand for labor. And uh, one of the conclusions of the, of the World Development Report is that investment in human capital in the, in the context of changing nature of work is more important than ever. And that is really ultimate for government of all the countries to put major, major emphasis on human capital investment, bigger than uh, than, than so far. And in somewhat parallel track of work in the bank, we started looking at human capital investment and what are the new research results related to growth, factors of growth. There was a report called The Wealth of Nations, which... They started indicating, we started seeing that the human capital explains more growth than we thought in the past. Some research shows above 60%, 30 40% of differentials across growth rates across countries are explained by human capital. And that um, led the bank to uh, launching what we call a human capital project and that human capital project is nothing like focusing on working with the countries on investment in human capital because human capital is so fundamental for productivity growth not because human capital is important anyway for its intrinsic qualities making us better human beings no for productivity and growth it is but that is besides the point what matters is productivity and growth so The third, the chapter three of WDR is on human capital investment. As a part of the chapter three, we are launching and we did launch in Bali human capital project. As a part of the project, we launched a human capital index that ranks countries in the world that had sufficient data with respect to their human capital to create some kind of a competition and points of reference Um, there. And I will come back to that in a moment. But the conclusion, human capital is very important. You need to invest in human capital. It is investment along the life cycle, early childhood development, fighting, stunting. Stunting has a major adverse impact on the quality of human capital, lasting throughout the whole life. Um, Schools, secondary schools, higher education, learning at work, lifelong learning are extremely important. That's the first conclusion. The second conclusion is about social protection and labor policies. And the main conclusion is that for uh, those folks who would have to be part of the hopefully winning battle of innovation over automation, they they need to change their jobs. They need to do new things. They need to transit. And for those transitions to be successful, A lot of things are needed. Human capital is needed, and I already covered that. But they need to be protected in the transition period. They need to have social protection that is appropriate, that uh, helps them when they transit. And this social protection should not be linked to one particular employer, because that employer may go out of business or become not relevant or not, not even a desir- desirable place to work. So it is important to have systems that have certain universality in place, which allow people to be covered regardless where they are on the labour market. Um, and, 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 and they should be strengthened so that those transitions happen in the way in which it, they encourage workers to, in invest. Invest in the human capital transit, be protected in this uh, this process. And I will say more about, about... And that cannot be linked to the employer... It's not a proposal anyway, anything. It's, it would not be a proposal in developing world anyway, but, 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 but it is worth mentioning that. Finally, I come back to that too in the last part. Finally, to finance conclusion set number one and conclusion set number two, uh, the, the World Development Report talks about revenue mobilization and lists a number of moves that should happen in order to increase revenue that could finance human capital investment and strengthen and expanded social protection policies. Uh, it focuses on taxing global platforms i just showed a few of them they use tax loopholes big way they should be properly taxed it talks about it talks about general uh, VAT loopholes. Uh, it talks about tax evasion uh, of any sort. It talks about base erosion and income shifting, which is the procedure used by many firms, not only global plat- platforms to use tax holidays. It emphasizes carbon taxes. It emphasizes excise tax taxes. There is a lot on, on, on the indirect taxation there in terms of uh, mobilizing revenue. And there will be separate work on how much on certain numbers, how much actually could be mobilized. Let me now, let me now go for the second back to the, to the, um, sorry, Uh, for some reason, page up doesn't work. Yes, I wanted to go back here. So these are those three conclusions. And now let me, let me say a few more words about conclusion one and uh, conclusion two, human capital and social protection and labor. So on human capital, I already told you that we launched the human capital project and a few words about, and then as a part of the project, human capital index. Human Capital Index, I already highlighted, is very much focused on productivity of workers. In fact, what it says is it asks a question, it tries to establish a benchmark of an 18 years old person which has complete education and perfect health. And that complete education and perfect health allow this person to be uh, on the frontier of fruitful life and productivity throughout his or her lifetime. If a country produces 18 years old like that, they would be in the index, which we produce number one. Nobody is number one. Uh, Singapore, that is the, has the highest is 0.88. How this 0.88 is calculated? There are six measures used. Under the labels of survival, school, and health, let me let me mention a few. So, under su- survival, is a very simple measure. It's a mortality rate of children' uh, probabilities to reach the age of five. Obviously, children who do not survive till the age of five don't grow up to become future workers. So that the su- survival element. <clears throat> I move immediately to the right-hand side. The health element has two aspects. Uh, one is stunting. Which is which I already mentioned that that rates of stunting are uh, clearly indicated to the quality of human capital at the age of 18. So one is the stunting. The second is average of adult survival rates. Uh, given the prevalent patterns of morbidity and mortality in, a, in the country, when they reach 18, you can expect um, uh, what would be the their pattern, how much they survive. And this is another um, uh, indicator uh, that uh, enters the human capital index. Finally, and the one that is perhaps the most uh, innovative and important here is in the middle, is school. One one element of that index is uh, very typical, which is average number of years at school, but that average number of years at school is multiplied by the coefficient that uh, comprises the quality of education. The quality of education, as measured by international testings, a la PISA Perls, teams, or equivalents of those international testing. Uh, If the countries do not test internationally, but they do test through testing mechanisms that are equivalent to those I mentioned. That allows that construction of the index allows to um, uh, translate the number of years at school into an effective number of years given the quality of learning. So if a country has say eight years of schooling on average but the quality is really sucks, that would be effectively four point half years of learning possibly, if, if, a, if, a, if a year of being exco- at school is actually equivalent to a half a year of effective learning. So, so this is important because uh, that particular indicator is a product of the last year World development report called the crisis of learning, which essentially the story there was huge improvements in access to education, lots of kids at school, even improvements in teacher attendance, the absenteeism has gone down, but then when teachers and kids at school learning doesn't happen. They either are Even if they are, if they are absent, it doesn't happen. If they are present, it often happens. So measuring quality became so important. And that quality indicator is a very important element of the human capital index. Early childhood development, I guess I already covered verbally, but this is the brain development of stunted kids on the left-hand side and healthy kids on the right-hand side. The point here being it's a permanent effect. It's not... A temporary effect which disappears, and when they are ten, it doesn't matter. It enters into the human capital throughout the lifetime. Uh, I think I wanted to show you something else. Yes, I wanted to show you this, which is uh, in the WDR you have country by country all 157 countries ranked. Here you have not all 50, 157, but you have more or less. You see the ranking. The, it, you see the correlation between the GDP per capita and um, and the index. Uh, although not particularly, uh, I mean, strong, but maybe not very strong. There are some maybe surprises, but that's that's roughly how the countries look like. Um, and and uh, w- when you go to the World Development Report on the World Bank page or when you get the paper copy, you would see the whole list and you could you could study it. You have Singapore at 0.88 and then it ends up with Chad and South Sudan at around, I think, 0- 0.32. And every- Is it blue and the orange? Mm? The different
0: colors?
1: Actually, the different colors here are the uh, countries that are in our in our uh, think are part one and part two countries, which is the countries that are, okay, let's call it d- developed versus developing countries. Um, uh, no, sorry, you have, g- this is GDP per capita. This is GDP, a log of GDP per capita is in blue and then you have those, uh, yeah, you have yellows being the, uh, 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 yellows being the results of the human capital um, index. So you plot them on the left-hand side. Uh. You know what? That I think th- that's what's happening there. Here is that you have. Uh, let me correct that because you have them plotted on. You have the on the left, and from the bottom, you have both results at the same time because one is plotted against the uh, against the other. Uh, those who are in blue are unnamed countries oh, yeah. that are. Yeah. So yeah, that, because what you see here, yeah, you have you you have here. Some are named, like you have you have Luxembourg, which is actually quite. Um, High in GDP, but remarkably low in the uh, in the human capital index. But that that don't have names uh, are 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 here in blue. Every other one, the yellow one is a named one. And I think uh, for the lack of space, some were not named. If you look at the table, Australia is a blue and comes at seven. If you are, it comes at seven in the table, which I guess is result that would not be particularly surprising but if you if uh, should be here. if you are interested in the in particular results then i can tell you uh, yeah australia is seventh with 0.8 any particular other countries you want to hear I, I, I was encouraged to compare Australia with New Zealand <laughs> 21st is New Zealand with 0.77 so you see the point is <laughs> the, the differences are very deceptive because they are extremely small in some cases like 0.8 0.77 but the countries are ranked anyway yeah <laughs> Yeah, I think the, 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 there is a big tr- triumph of Asia because first three are Asian: Singapore and then Korea and Japan. The funny thing is, Korea and Japan have both 0.84, but because of some da- further points, Korea is ahead of Japan, which they were very happy about. So <laughs> the fourth is, is Hong Kong, and then fifth is Finland, the best European country. Then Ireland, then Australia, and and all the rest. United States is twenty fourth. Uh, the big one of the biggest the, the, in terms of diplomatic crises we have if you are want a bit of a kitchen of the World Bank so there are two one is on the kind of low income and the, the first is Pakistan Pakistan comes below Afghanistan and it is in it is different than other human capital human development indices they had, in which they were always above Afghanistan. Of course, they are below India, which is already bad, but this is like adding insult to the injury to at Afghanistan to that. And there are very good methodological reasons, because Human Development Index of UNDP weights the results by GNI per capita, but also has much more on adults' health. And this is quite good in Pakistan. This one doesn't, because it fo- focuses on this 18 years old and their productivity. The other is France. France is 22nd, and that was something which, uh, because France the government would like to use their education and human capital investment as example to the world, and France being 22nd and Germany being 11th did not necessarily uh, come down well in France, so just to But these are small differences. In fact, the funny thing, we know that it doesn't make sense to do ranking and we know that it makes immense sense to do ranking because they will be annoyed and they will be trying to do something to climb up. We learned it through our doing business indicators, which is the widely loved and widely hated work of the World Bank in which we are ranking countries. And that led to a very, very major honest efforts to improve the business climate. The difficulty with applying the same logic here is that these are not high frequency indicators. And because of that, you cannot expect them to change from year to year. We are now discussing how often they will be uh, published. We started thinking every three years is good enough, but now there is some pressure to do it more frequently. We'll see. In parallel, we would like to expand the index. I told you the story which I consider beautiful about returns to human capital, not returns to human capital, but human capital acquired at work, and it's not covered by the index. We would like to expand it, subject to data availability, to cover also human capital acquisition at work. So, huge challenges are ahead of us. Among those countries, 27, sorry, now 34, uh, uh, elected to be early adopters with which we have very intense plans, which could be different in every country, depending where the binding constraints are, to improve the results of the index um, in those countries, and there will be for resources for that. If you ask me which uh, particular indicator is the most important for outcomes and the most movable, it's probably the quality of education and this, in, this testing thing, which is also the most innovative one. And in many countries, this is the variable that first is responsible for the result the most and is uh, therefore uh, could be instrumental in elevating them up. The weights of different of different uh, indicators come from micro, microeconomic literature on returns to work. So these are not exogenous weights just given, but the weights are being derived from studying the micro literature on returns to work. Now, um, uh, finally, let me let me let me come to the to the end. Um, I, I, the second conclusion, as I mentioned to you before, is expanding social protection. Uh, this conclusion emphasizes that the expansion should ta- should take place in uh, not in, in not through formal employers because the role of formal employment, stable employment, may go down. And um, because this social protection is so much needed in this transitory period across jobs, we emphasize the role of guaranteed social minimum for everybody. And, and then we obviously elaborate on uh, the, or how to go about covering further needs uh, through other concentric circles here, such as social insurance, mandatory, voluntary, and others. And uh, here I do realize that those concentric circles probably are not very controversial in Australia because I think the logic in public policy in Australia about social protection has been along similar lines with the minimum available to others and without overburdening employers with the need to provide social protection. But it is very controversial in Europe, especially in systems that we label Bismarckian systems where the main cash transfer is a pension scheme wearing both old age and disability, financed out of the payroll tax by employers and employees together. And these systems are very, very strong. We basically are saying here this is not necessarily the best suited system to facilitate transitions which are a part of the changing nature of work. uh, We go further even, we say payroll tax is actually not the best taxation mechanism to cover social protection because it is distortive, it taxes labor more than the other factors of production. We are behind, we would, rather suggest going for the broadest possible tax base. We call it a neutrality with respect to social protection not just uh, taxing one factor. Again, those conclusions may not be that controversial in Australia they are controversial for instance in Germany where the whole story is about industrial relations through big employers through bargaining, through high minimum wage, through providing workers with pension systems, through payroll contributions both from employers and employees and the ideology that calls it social solidarity then. So against that, us saying that we don't think it's the best system, we need to go through universal social protection, uh, uh, disassociated with employment is quite uh, controversial, and we say that not because we have anything against the German system, we observe it is not the best for transitions, but we also observe it is not that relevant for the world, because 65% are informal anyway, so they don't benefit from those relationships. And that's why we need to go a different way. This guaranteed social minimum uh, is, could be provided in different forms. We introduce a phrase here of progressive universalism, which means given limited fiscal resources, we need to focus first on the poorest and most vulnerable. So we need to do targeting. We need to start with them, but then we need to expand if we can and when we can. So that's why it is a universalism, but it's progressive starting with the most needy. A lot of discussion in the world nowadays is about the universal basic income. So we were, in a way, um, we we, we were, in a way, encouraged to give it a special treat in WDR. And it does have a special treatment, almost two pages. But basically, what it, what it, well, it is special given that this is a very short document. Yeah. (laughs) But the point is, we devote the attention to that because because there is so much attention devoted in the world in the discussions, including academic ones. The conclusion is that universal basic income may be an option, but it is an unlikely to be a viable option for many years for most countries because it's just too expensive. And here you have estimates of what would happen if we covered by universal basic income um, people so that we eliminate poverty gap. Uh, and then to eliminate poverty gap for uh, even for adult population, you have already very large numbers, around 10% of GDP in low-income countries and 20% if you want to cover full population. Uh, So so we say interesting proposal, unlikely to happen, nothing in principle against it, um, uh, but, but don't get overly fascinated by that. And in general, the line we take in WDR, although there is no room to discuss it in detail, is that we need to start with the poorest and money. Then we need to expand. How we expand and in what form is a matter of very complicated game between taxation and benefits, between incentives uh, um, uh, and uh, incentives to work, uh, between sustainability of the systems um, uh, and between uh, reaching the la- largest number of people and. Whether the country, after this bare minimum, will go the negative income tax way or earn income tax credit way or will be trying to drift towards guaranteed minimum income first through categorical benefits for children and social pension, which means the Wielodiark you have universal basic income for those two groups, right? And then exa- these differences are in a way secondary. There is no major philosophical difference there. These are different versions which could be done differently depending on societal priorities and depending on the taxation system, the degree of integrating with the taxation system. So, so in a way we, we, we would sidestep the big debate or is it better to do negative income tax or universal basic income because there are two versions of the same and which one you go is not may depend on circumstances that are not necessarily policy choices, but may depend on various circumstances that are administrative, like the integration of tax system with social security system. We are now working on the study, we call it a white paper on risk sharing in a diverse and diversifying world of work, which essentially is an in-depth study covering the material that is in Chapter 6 on the World Development Report on Social Protection and Labour, And we will be publishing it in January, December or January. And then we will be disseminating the chapter along with World Development Report. And in fact, people keep sitting here from our office in Sydney, Practice Manager in Social Protection and Jobs Global Practice for East Asia. and Pacific is a core team member of the White Paper uh, on the Diverse and Diversifying World of Work. So if reading the Chapter 6 of WDR, you want to know more and think more and discuss more about the merits and demerits of various cash benefit system, negative income tax, guaranteed minimum, uh, you know, all those debates, you will not find it in WDR, but you will find them, find them in the upcoming white paper when we go into detail uh, of, of those uh, issues. I think there is one more thing I wanted to show you. Ah, what I wanted to say, one thing which is also quite important – when you remember concentric circles, the second was social insurance. So you may legitimately ask a questions, you guys have these concentric circles, but but people, but standard employment relationship is not there. so how could you have social insurance? Well, Social insurance does not have to be linked to standard employment contract, and ob- and we see an increasing number of attempts to cover by social insurance that includes also health insurance informal sector workers. And there are there are increasing opportunities coming from developments in uh, in unified identity numbers, identification of individuals, targeting, using behavioral economics nudging auto enrollment in which informal sector workers can contribute to the schemes related to their. Disability or Old Age Poverty, uh, and we think it's important because there is little expansion as on the screen of social insurance coverage over time. You have some numbers and groups of countries there. So because of that, this expansion, and, and why is that? Because this expansion has always been seen as a function of formalization. You first get a good formal job, then you are a part of social insurance. Whereas we believe it's not the way to go because these formal jobs may not come. Instead, many platform-based jobs, gig economy jobs may come, which do not carry with themselves a social insurance package, but this social insurance package could be created on on the side using, using creative thinking. And then again, more on that in the upcoming white paper. Uh, and finally, which is also in WDR, but these are, these are, this is the issue of the ink taxes. The the tax revenue that could be raised using the combinations which are described in Chapter 5 of WDR and various estimates of those and obviously a big debate would be whether they are sufficient or insufficient. And so far, indeed, Well Development Report had uh, more than by now 400,000 downloads and counting. And let me finish by again thanking you wholeheartedly for this opportunity. It's really an honor to be here and do a launch in Australia at ANU in Canberra. Thank you very much. You have been listening to a podcast from the Development Policy Centre. For more information on our work, visit our website at devpolicy.anu.edu.au. To join the conversation on Australian aid, Papua New Guinea, the Pacific and Global Development Policy, visit our blog at devpolicy.org. At the blog, you can also sign up to our newsletter to get all the latest updates, or you can connect with us on social media. Thanks for listening.